Turn with me over to the book of John. By the way, last week we were in Denver. I was in Denver. And we kicked off our church plant there in Denver. It was a launch. Like, wow. It, 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 it was a, a baby that was a year overdue. COVID put everything back one year. But they had 170 people on the first service. David and Megan Hermes are tremendous leaders. I mean, they are fabulous leaders, and they are going to change that city for good in Denver. I am so proud of them, so proud of them, and I pray that you would continue to pray for them as they work in the field that God has them. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. The title of the message today is Proper Identification. Proper Identification. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 21. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, 22, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. Lord, help us as we study. John had a problem. It had been almost 400 years since there had been a credible prophet to the people of Israel. Malachi was the last recorded prophet. I'm sure there were some other voices that spoke the word of God in that 400-year period, but we don't have them recorded. It's rare when God is completely silenced in the earth for like four, four, uh, four centuries. That's really rare. But we don't have it recorded. So here John shows up as a prophet. Now, generally, you don't want to print up business cards and say, I'm prophet, I'm here. Because you lose credibility when you are your own witness. Other people need to be there to say, that guy's for real. This is why Jesus did not start his ministry without going to his prophet first. He went to John the Baptist. He, now, there are, other, there are a lot of accounts that say Jesus did stuff before he was baptized by John the Baptist at the River Jordan. I don't know. But there's nothing that's recorded in Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible that we know to be true, that he really started his ministry. He may have done some things personally for, for people. I don't know. And if he did, I don't care. That's great. Happy he helped folk. But there's nothing recorded ministerially that he did for the nation until John the Baptist baptized him. He shows up at the River Jordan. John's been ministering for a long period of time, about six months, and he's got a fabulous ministry. I mean, people are coming out to the wilderness in the desert at the dirty River Jordan to hear what he's got to say. You only come here if you have seats and air condition. I'm not that good. John was phenomenal. 95 degree heat, 110% humidity, can't do that. Dirty River Jordan to be baptized in. You want a baptismal font that's clear. 
River Jordan. It's different than it was back then, but it is never clear. You can never confuse it with that. Filthy! You come out more dirty than you went in. And people wanted to go into the river because he was there. This man was a phenomenal minister. Jesus and John knew one another, we believe. Their mothers were relatives. Separated by generation, Elizabeth was older, Mary was young, but they were still in, in, in relationship with one another, as evidenced in, in Luke chapter 1, where Mary comes down to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth confirms to Mary that she is pregnant, because Mary heard from this angel, and she says, let it be according to the word that you say. I'm, I'm, I'm your girl. Make it happen. But she has no confirmation of that until uh, Elizabeth tells her, how is it that the mother of my Lord would come and grace me with her presence? And that was as a result of Mary just saying, hi, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth turns into a prophetess. And Mary goes, oh, it's true. It's, they didn't have sonograms back then. There were no little blue strip tests you could take. Elizabeth tells her, and that's where we get what the Catholic Church and liturgy calls the Magnificat. After Elizabeth prophesies, Mary starts going, whoo, for the first time, just talking about the word of the Lord. And they're having a prophetic moment between them. A bond was created. Elizabeth knew, my baby boy is supposed to be something to your baby boy. John was six months earlier than Mary. Mary's boy comes out. And we know that Mary and, and Joseph lived in Galilee, but Elizabeth and Zechariah lived near Jerusalem, 90 miles apart. Yet they were bonded by a common mission in their children. Mary and Joseph would come down for the feasts regularly, three times a year. Feast of Booth, Passover, Pentecost. Every male was required to report to Jerusalem. That meant Joseph. They come down to the feast. Where do you think they stayed? Elizabeth and Zachariah's home, maybe? And you generally stay for a week, at least. You think John and Jesus played every once in a while? Think they were more like brothers than they were cousins? I think so. Here Jesus comes now, knowing that John is supposed to be his forerunner. Jesus has done nothing in ministry. He comes to the river and John has been preaching for a good six months, at least six months. And there is a following that now is intimidating the leaders of Jerusalem. So we're not talking about a small group gathering at the river. If it were 25 people, nobody of the leadership of Jerusalem, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priests, would even be concerned about that. They are so concerned about John that they send leaders to say, now who are you? We got to know who... You're, you're, you're developing quite a following here. And uh, we'd, we'd like to manage that if we could, please. We'd like to bring you into our world. Let's dialogue about what it looks like for leadership in our nation. And they're using all of their manipulative tactics to try to figure out how can we find his weak spot and what if we can get him on our side? Or if there's a flaw, can we expose that to the nation and ruin his credibility so we can get these people back? Lots of folks. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't even announce himself, y'all. I mean, he is the Messiah. He's the son of Almighty God. John knows it to be true. When he shows up at the river, he doesn't even say, hey, John, I'm here. I'll take it now. He waits for John. 
to say, oh, hold up. <laughs> okay, y'all think I'm all out in a bag of chips? That dude, the Lamb of God, I'm not able to untie his sandals. Now, what that meant, the lowest servant in the house was the one who was responsible to wash the feet of everybody who came into the house. There were no paved roads. Everybody wore sandals. So you walked on dirt streets. Now, dirt streets, if you had streets, that was a, that was a big civic upgrade if you had a street in your neighborhood. Generally, it was just a downtrodden place where people actually walked. And as a result of their walking, there was no vegetation growing. But somebody actually mapped out a street like, wow. But it was still full of dirt. And so when you walked into somebody's house and you began to dine at table, which required you not to sit in a chair like we sit, but to recline at about a 45-degree angle to a table, like an elevated chase lounge, your feet were actually on the furniture. And you didn't want to mess up anybody's furniture. So you had a servant that would prepare the guests by washing their feet, untying their sandals and wash their feet. That was the lowest servant in the house. John said, I can't even do that for him. You think I'm that. You, th you all are all coming to find out whether I'm the one who's the Messiah, who's the chosen one, the prophet, whatever you think. I'm so low that I can't do that for him. And he allows, meaning Jesus now, John, to give him credibility. The Lamb of God. It happens a couple of times. And then all of a sudden when Jesus comes to the River Jordan, John says all that and he gets in the river and, and John looks at him and says, you know, <laughs> this is backwards. I need to be baptized by you. Could you dunk me, please? Because nobody around here can. There's nobody that has the credibility to dunk me other than you. He says, eh, nah, we better fulfill all righteousness. I can't do anything unless you tell me and proclaim me as legitimate to the people. I'll say that differently. I won't do anything. Probably could. Jesus could do what he wanted. Which makes what he said to John all the more powerful. When you can do what you want and you choose not to do what you want. Because you want to fall into the lines. Stay in the boundaries that God has created. Like what kind of character does that human being have? Let's fulfill all righteousness, John. Dunk me. Gets baptized. Comes back up. And it's not just John anymore that says this is the guy. Now a dove floats out of heaven. We don't know where he came from. I'm saying heaven. Dove floats out of heaven. Lands on Jesus' head. And stays there. Said it remained. And then there's this huge sound that comes out of glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It wasn't just John. It was God Almighty proclaiming that this one here was special. Now, that all happened for Jesus as Jesus submitted himself to John. Who was doing it for John? Who are you? There's nobody that's proclaiming you. There's nobody that's forerunning you. Nobody's baptizing you. And it wasn't until John was just about done that Jesus says who John was. John's, John's ministry had diminished. It was pretty much over because Jesus, 
kind of inherited his ministry. He didn't take it. John gave it to him. As soon as Jesus was baptized from the River Jordan, John, John has uh, uh, Andrew and Philip, two guys that were part of John's ministry. And Andrew and Philip were leaders, obviously, because they became leaders with Jesus. They stopped following John and go after Jesus. And then everybody's following Jesus so much so that when Jesus and the disciples now were baptizing at the River Jordan, he had a greater, meaning Jesus, following than John. And that everybody was now concerned in the religious elite that Jesus' disciples were baptizing more than John were. So John's ministry decreased, as he said it should. I must decrease that he might increase. But it's not till after his ministry decreases that Jesus says, who did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No, I tell you, something much more was there. You've heard of Elijah? Hmm? If, you, if you have ears to hear, that's who he was. You heard Elijah was to come again. That was John. But John was already done. He was finished. What about the credibility needed to do ministry before you're done? I mean, somebody, if you do ministry well and you, and, and you do it for some degree of longevity and there's productivity, somebody will write a book about you once you're finished. <laughs> when it's all done, somebody will say, really, at your funeral, you hope somebody says something nice. Somebody's going to remind everybody about who you were. But what about now? <laughs> when you need help, <laughs> Brett. When you need open doors, Brett, when, is there anybody out there that can do something for me that lets people know I'm legit? Do I have to print Mrs. Carson say Bishop? <laughs> Where do I get my credibility? Do I have to write like six books before anybody thinks I'm really right? Who are you, John? Who are you? John says, hmm, I'm just a voice. He pulls a passage from Isaiah where God talks about how the Lord wants to comfort, comfort his people and what he wants to do to bless them when they're going through difficulty. And though they strayed, he wants to bring them back. I, Isaiah 40 is a fabulous passage. And John says, and he, this is a man who knew his his Bible well, his Old Testament well. He could have pulled any passage out, any passage. But he takes a passage that, also, that almost still gives him anonymity. He doesn't say, I am the voice, because that's not what the passage says. He says, a voice. John believed that if he was going to receive the greatest credibility, it would be as a result of the things he said being true and coming to pass. Don't believe me if what I say isn't right. Don't trust me if what I say doesn't come to pass. How about your word? What gives you credibility? Is it your degree? Maybe you have some letters behind your name. Maybe there's a title they have before Mr. and Mrs. They don't call you that. It may be as doctor. What gives you credibility in your character? What allows you to minister to people? I beg you. 
Let your voice be so in line with the word that your life and your speech are inseparable. Inseparable. That when people hear you, they feel you. When people see you, they hear you. When they feel you coming in a room, they can't wait for you to open your mouth. The presence of God is so much on your life that you do not have to pump yourself. All you have to be is a voice. But the kind of voice that speaks the word of God. He didn't just say, I'm saying what I want to say. Who are you? Well, let me quote you what the Bible has to say about somebody who does what I do. A voice. I'm begging you to develop your voice so that it lines up with God. So the credibility that you need so desperately goes beyond whatever your degree has given you that, that, that kind of defines competency for your job. I want you to be able to go into your workplace, into your home, into your soccer mom arena, your basketball AAU, and when people see you walking in, they see a man or woman of God. And when you open your mouth, it doesn't have to be chapter and verse all the time. But it carries as much weight as when you speak chapter and verse. Because character is behind it. Calling is behind it. What did they go out to see? Why were people going to the wilderness? It's not like truth wasn't being ministered in the temple. It's not like somebody wasn't following the Bible in the temple. They were doing their best. They were a little bit hypocritical. They didn't have a balance, but they were still preaching the Old Testament law. Truth was being said in the temple, in the synagogues. Why were they going out from there to John? Because something other had been spoken to them through him. They heard something different, a voice. You want to have an identity that lines up with Scripture? Develop your spiritual voice. I beg you. And anybody can do it. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You just have to know God and love him every day. And spend time with him. And get in his Bible. And read your Bible every day. Fall in line with his will. And he will change your voice. Some of you have voices that are cracking. You're going through spiritual puberty. You've had a voice that you had in the world for a long time, and now you're beginning to develop this voice over here, and it's... It, 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 it just cried. Just like, you forgot what puberty was like? That's okay. Let it happen. And all of a sudden, at some point, somebody will hear what you're saying. They say, oh, listen, I... I've heard people pray. We had a prayer meeting the other night right here. We gathered in groups of five. And people were praying. And we've had these for years. I mean, we, we pray a lot in this house. We, we talk to God a lot. And people pray. And then every once in a while, I hear somebody open their mouth. And they pray. And I go, oh, oh, my goodness. That, that's different. 
The same words may have been said by somebody else, but when they open their mouth, ooh, I, I go to leadership and say, find out who she is because <laughs> she knows the Father. She knows the Father. It's not like she's saying a rope prayer. She spends time with him. Allow God to develop your voice. Secondly, it says a voice crying in the wilderness. Allow God to develop the manner in which you speak, not just the words you say. The word crying in the Hebrew there is the, is, is the word for proclamation. It's not just telling people what they need to do. It's not just informing them. It's bringing what you say with impact and impartation. It's letting the word on the inside of you come out with deep conviction. Although I am not the best at anything, I try to do this regularly. Thus I use voice inflection and intensity of speech. I vary my communication tactics intentionally because I want something from here to texture what's coming out of here. Proclamation is just not information. It is an impartation of truth so that when people get it, it's like a well-driven nail in the soul. And all of a sudden, something happens whereby those weren't just words. I felt the Spirit of God moving through him, through her. Something happened when they spoke. The manner in which you speak. I'm crying out of the wilderness and I can't tell you how important it is for people to cry today in our world. We are as far as a nation, as a nation, as far from God as we have ever been. Which means much of the church is as far from the bullseye as it has ever been. And I'm putting us in that category we're trying really, really hard. And I put us in that category not because I believe we are practicing disobedience. No. But I put us there because I know we have so far to go and until I see them change, I'm not changed enough. Are you listening to me? I'm using them as the barometer on how well we are doing. If that isn't changing, and I'm not talking about politics, I'm not talking about sociology. I'm not talking about philosophy. I'm talking about heart changes. People that now say, I used to not love God, but now I do. Until I see that change, we haven't done our job well enough. Though we might be doing really well, it's not well enough. So I'm passionate about proclaiming this message in such a way that it sounds different to people so they repent and love to Jesus who gave his life for them. A man, just a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight. Let's do this thing right. I'm not just crying about their sin and how messed up they are. I'm not trying to make them feel bad for what they've done. I'm not trying to be the replacement of the Holy Spirit that somehow brings conviction to people's lives. That's his job. My job is to say there's a better way. There's so, there is so much of a better, better way than you're doing. And the bridge is out. The bridge is out. I'm telling you, the bridge is out. And you're going to go over. Please stop driving. Get off this road. You're going to die. 
and I don't want you to die. Make straight, make clear what this way ought to be. Preach this gospel with clarity. You may not have chapter and verse. You may not have all the scriptures, but you've got a story. Has Jesus helped you? Has he touched you? Has he changed your life? You've got a story. Tell it to somebody. You want to have credibility beyond just your degree, beyond just being a faithful friend. You want your voice to make a difference beyond just saying, I, 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 I'm there for you. Do this. Do this. And people will come out to your version of the wilderness without any, without any air conditioning and hear what you have to say because you have credibility. Your identification is now most proper, fully aligned with the presence of Almighty God that you might care for people on this level. The best version of the symbolic cross you can ever display to people. Let's pray. Daddy, help us please to properly identify ourselves to the world. All we want to do is see this world one. That's why we're here. That's why you left us here. So make us a people who can make a difference. That's all John wanted to do is see people right. He just wanted to see people right. He wanted to make ready a people for God. Help us to do the same.